0: Hello and welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast. This week coming to you from the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. My name is Dan Schreiber. I'm joined by three other QI elves. Please welcome to the stage. It's Andy Murray, Anna Chazinski, and James Harkin. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days. And in no particular order, here we go. Starting with you, James Harkin.
1: Okay, my fact this week is that dog pee makes streetlights collapse.
2: (laughs) You always hurt the ones you love.
1: (laughs) (laughs) How does it do that? Uh, Well, it's urea that you get in uh, dog pee and it's corrosive. And um, all over the world, street lights are falling
0: down <laughs> due to dog pee. There was a report that came out in San Francisco. They were just keeling over these lampposts. The pee was really ruining them. And this is a quote from them. We encourage people and dogs alike to do their business in other places, like a proper restroom or on one of our fire
2: hydrants.
1: <laughs> the idea of the um, fire hydrants is they're made out of cast iron, so they won't corrode.
2: Okay. But I didn't know that, uh, that people pissing on lampposts was a thing. <laughs> <laughs> i have only ever... been doing <laughs> it. I don't know. I've been clearly wasting my time. Um...
3: Yeah, because dogs like to urinate on things in order to mark it as their territory, mm. don't they? That's Whereas right. humans don't really have that, so we could just wee anywhere. That's a really good point.
2: Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, they did some tests on dogs as well. They tested... Um, how they, how they do it in terms of status. So they took 48 Labradors through a course which was full of uh, the urine of other dogs. You know, that's because that's what scientists do. And um, they found out that animals with higher uh, tail bases and tail positions, so if the tail was higher up, uh, they did more urine marking. So they think that that is the sign of status. You do more urine marking and you are higher status if your tail is higher.
3: Wow, that's the equivalent of a mansion. In yeah, the basically, world. yeah,
2: yeah. And there are some doc, some uh, very submissive, low-status animals. Uh, they just fake it. They lift a leg, and then they don't spray anything. It's, yeah, I'm doing it, but uh, I'm, they're not. I'm shy, I'm shy.
1: Or maybe they just really like streetlights, and they don't want to wreck them.
2: Well, that would be yeah. a nice
1: thought, They're like yes. em- environmentally friendly dogs.
0: <laughs> but so have we, other than just encouraging people not to piss lampposts to death, are we... Are we doing something about physically yes, making the Yes, we are. Oh, we are? Okay, yeah. cool.
1: Um, there's a dog urinal in the Spanish town of El Bandrel. <laughs> 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 so they have a pole, and the pole has a grid underneath it, and the idea is that the dogs will pee on this pole.
3: So is it law there in, where was it? Uh,
1: El Vandrel.
3: Is it law there that you have to train your dog to recognize a dog urinal and only urinate into that?
1: It isn't, but there is a law in Piacenza in Italy uh, which says that someone can be fined 500 euros for not cleaning up after your dog urinates. (laughs) Wow. Wow. People have to walk
3: around with a bottle of water and kind of wash it away. Or some kitchen towel and you just snap (laughs) on it and (laughs) (laughs) let it absorb. Wow. Good. It's also happening to a museum in Dorset. Uh, they're very worried about it. It's the Bridgeport Museum, and it, uh, it has a really extensive archive of the town's 800 year old rope and netting industry. <laughs> and this museum is now being eroded by dog urine, and they've had to release statements saying... The whole museum? The, full, the entire museum. Well, so they just attack the wall
0: down. right around. Yeah. And then. I mean, this is a great way of taking over somewhere eventually with war just weigh
2: on it. Could just weigh on it enough and all collapse. So it'll be yeah. It's a long-term strategy, isn't it? It's, it's not a blitzkrieg. Um, <laughs>
3: <laughs> Almost not worth having the place once you've weeded it to death. Oh, that's but. true.
2: But do you know why? The, do you know? Do we know why the dogs are so attracted to this rope and netting museum? Or is it a mystery? They're
3: very interested in yeah early fishing industries. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, we're going off topic here. Dog urine. <laughs> dog urine. Innovative types are using dog feces as a solution to some problems.
2: So, <laughs> 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 what possible problem could I, you have?
3: I sort of presented that quite cryptically. <laughs> uh, so if you put your dog waste in a bin, then it goes to. A site, and then it gets burnt up, and it releases lots of bad stuff into the atmosphere. But um, in Massachusetts, they've created a methane digester, so that you put your dog feces into this methane digester, um, and it powers electricity. At the moment, it only powers one lamp, I think. But <laughs> which are, has collapsed. <laughs> <laughs> but they are working on it. Wow.
2: The, okay, there is a feces-powered lamp in London, a streetlight, a human oh, yeah. feces-powered. Um, really? Yeah, and it's uh, right. It's really near the QI offices in Covent Garden. It's by the Savoy Hotel.
3: How many really people noticed me doing that? Embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, and um, they used to have them. They used. They used to be streetlights which burned off the uh, the gas from the sewers. So the uh, the the gases would, would come up these pipes and into. The, they'd just be burned off at the top. And there's only one still working. But it's called the oh, what's it called the Carting Lane uh, Patent Sewer Ventilating Lamp. That's what it's called. It Catchy. still works.
3: Wow. Um, So lamps in London, speaking of which, uh, there are 1,500 gas lamps in London that are still powered by gas. And there's a team of five people who work for British Gas, apparently. And they are employed to go around London every night and wind up these gas lamps. So they don't actually light the fire. They wind up a clock thing um, which ignites the gas lamp on the inside. And they climb ladders and go up there and do that every single night. You'll see them. I have never seen them. (laughs) You aren't looking up, James. Oh, yeah. You've got to start looking up.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs>
3: Isn't that cool? They call themselves the Guardians of the Lamps.
0: Nice. British gas employees. Yeah, oh, nice. Really cool. Um, I've discovered a really great place to buy urine online. Um, <laughs> so, just a quick shout out. And if anyone here or listening needs some, um, uh, they're called P Mart. Uh, P W E Mart. should
1: be called P-Bay. Oh, P-Bay. Oh. oh. Oh my Very god, that good. would have
0: been great. Uh, and it's um, it's basically, this is their sort of opening blurb, welcome to P-Mart, your best discount online source for 100% real undiluted predator pee and animal urine. So what they do is they sell to people who need urine in order to make a mark of smell so that they can fend off other predators oh, coming yeah. towards them. Yeah, you can get gift cards, you can buy someone a gift card for sort of like <laughs> $100 worth of pee. And my um, birthday's coming up, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. They invented this thing called pee, I don't know if they invented it, but they sell it. It's called pee gel. Uh, and it's, um, they say, this is an amazing product. And I agree. It, it's, uh, <laughs> it's designed for indoor use. So you can have that great pee smell inside your house. Um, and uh, no spilling, no mess, no fuss. Uh, and, it's, and it's just basically a gel rather than a liquid that you can just smear some urine smell of a coyote.
2: It stops, I guess, other coyotes maybe coming <laughs> into your house. Using and, your sofa. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. My sofa at home is full of coyotes all the time. It's funny, yeah, exactly. I had to, we've got a new sponsor by the way for this week's podcast, guys. It's, yeah. uh, it's P Gel P Mart and P yeah, gel. But also
0: so you can also go down the list of all the things that they sell and there's lots of animals. It's really it's really cool. And they bottle them in those kind of you know when you go past those health shops where they have up your mass, you know, all those big, huge bottles of <laughs> your that, what? Like protein shake. Yeah, protein shake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's say this, there's lots of different animals. My favorite one that I saw is that you can buy uh, one gallon of pure black bear urine. A gallon? A gallon. That's what How I thought. Long. How long must it take a bear to produce a gallon of urine? Quite I and, and straight into the thing as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. It <like, laughs> must be a nightmare. That could take down a building. <laughs> yes.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, have you heard of uh, white-footed sportive lemurs? I haven't. No, neither had I until, until I found this out. Um, so they're, they're a kind of Lima, and they're really antisocial. In fact, they actively avoid each other, and um, they go to great lengths to not see their, their mates or their family members or anyone else. Um, and they only communicate using their communal toilets, that's what they do. <laughs> what? So they do. They go. They leave a scent mark. Is
1: it like uh, writing little comments on the toilet wall? Or... Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah.
2: And they just go and they say, "Oh, good, uh, good. Um, you know, mum was here, or whatever." And then <laughs> that's what I've seen. Your mum was here.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's been nearly eighty episodes before we had our first "your mum" joke on air. <laughs> we, ha- we we stood out very well. Um, yeah. <laughs>
3: Other uses, good uses for urine, Mm. um, which has backfired in this case, actually, but a family in Bristol who tried to lure back a lost dog by leaving a trail of their own urine on the streets near their home (laughs) have been criticized by the local council.
0: (laughs) Criticized is such a nice word. (laughs) What did they?
3: They insist it's the best way. They went on forums online and said, well, a dog is lost, and the people on the forum said, well, you should pee all over your town and it'll come back and find you. Apparently, it's quite a normal way of doing it, said the owner. Because
2: um, <laughs> I would just put up a sign, silly me.
3: <laughs> there was a vet who was interviewed about it who said he would be pleasantly surprised if it works, but um, probably uh, it would be better if they could like, place jumpers and items of owner's clothing because it, they really recognize things that the owner's smell of. So he said the only way that the urine thing would work was if the owner had an incontinence problem. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: and we're gonna to have to move on to the next fact in a few minutes
1: okay there was a book called pharmacopoeia baitiana from 1706 by george Bate, and he had a gargle for mouth ulcers which included a white dog turd oh. wow yeah how do you gargle a solid thing i think you then dilute it in some water or... oh i want to say wine actually
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah, why not take the edge off it?
1: <laughs> uh, some other uses for dogs according to old medical dictionaries. Uh-huh. Um, here's one from Robert James in 1743. He said, keeping a warm puppy next to one's upset belly will give a kindly and cherishing heat.
3: It's mm. nice, mm. isn't it? Yeah.
1: And not quite as nice, dog dung, being hot and acrid, might treat toothache. <laughs> <laughs> might. Might. <laughs>
3: Might as well give it a try. <laughs>
0: um, anything else?
3: So there was an experiment in 1955, which I really like, where the urine of schizophrenics was fed to spiders to find out if they made webs any differently compared to when they drank the urine of non It really sounds like they're just getting words out of a <laughs> hat and going,
1: schizophrenics, <laughs> spiders, urine. What are we going to do?
0: but <laughs> Inject!
3: Okay. (laughs) You can imagine that they thought, I bet they make really wacky webs with some crazy... They didn't. There was no marked difference in the webs of the spiders who drank the schizophrenic's urine. The only thing they could conclude from it, the scientists said, was that urine must taste extremely unpleasant. After taking just a sip, the spiders exhibited marked abhorrence.
2: (laughs) (laughs) If I was a spider, I would have made a web which just said, screw you, in the middle of it.
0: Um, Okay, let's move on to our next fact. Time for fact number two, and that is my fact. My fact this week is that after the button was invented, it took more than 1,000 years for someone to invent the buttonhole.
3: (laughs) What and do we then, do
2: with these? What do we do? Where do they go?
3: And <laughs> Who keeps making them?
0: <laughs> and they were doing things like, well, I guess we'll just, uh, we'll just latch a bit of string around it. That might be the way. Just no one thought to have yeah. created the buttonhole. And eventually, and I love that that must have been the biggest innovation of its day. Just a little slit in the bit of clothing.
3: It's kind of, I mean, because the loops do work. So I think the buttonhole came about in uh, the, mi- it was the mid-13th century um, in Europe when the buttonhole came to being. But you can understand, So the- if you have a loop, that works perfectly well. I don't really see why we bother to invent the buttonhole, to be honest. <laughs>
2: <It's> <laughs> true, and they have to be reinforced as well, because you can't just cut a hole in your clothing, because then that'll, that'll widen and eventually it'll be no good for a button. Um. So they, they do have to be reinforced, guys. <laughs> <laughs> and that public service
1: announcement was brought to you Um, Yeah, and they were used for decoration as well, weren't they? Because they were really ornate and and whatever. Um, There was uh, apparently really expensive as well. According to Franco Giacassi, who is the world's biggest button collector.
2: (laughs) Wait, 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 wait. wait. Does he have the world's largest collection of buttons or is he the world's biggest (laughs) button collector?
1: He has three buttons, but he's eight foot six. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He said that there was a time when the buttons were so expensive you could pay off a debt by plucking a precious button from your suit and giving it to someone. Wow! Wow. That's great, isn't it?
2: That's really cool. Yeah. There's a really, really good article about buttons on slate.com if you want to go there afterwards for more button stuff. Um, Go on. the, the, The quote is, a button packs an extraordinary amount of information about a given time and place, its provenance, onto a crowded little canvas. Children learn to button and unbutton early in life, and they keep doing it until they're dead. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: Here's a great little thing. Uh, Anyone in the audience here, anyone listening at home, all of us on this stage, most likely the one thing that unites us is that we all, if you have a button on you, are wearing a button that comes from the same town in China. There is button city in China. Ah. Uh, It's called ChiaoTou, and Chalto produces 15 billion buttons a year. Whoa. And it started because three, I think it was three brothers, they just found a few buttons on the ground and they started collecting buttons and then it turned into an industry and it became this massive <laughs> wait, wait, thing. Wait, wait, wait. But now they make them rather than
1: find them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 that's the
0: amazing thing. They find 15 billion buttons a year <laughs> and nobody knows where they come from. Yeah, but it's not, it's not every single button in the world. But I think it's something like three out of five people, if they're wearing buttons, wear buttons from Button City and buttons city apparently is amazing and it's situated very near <laughs> Toothbrush City which produces no
2: a lot of the toothbrushes in it the should world.
1: should be next to Buttonhole City. <laughs> <should be.
2: laughs> um, it's something, about, something else about buttons. Uh, lots of Birmingham is built on buttons. So <laughs> stay with me. So uh, shell buttons used to be extremely popular buttons made from, uh, from Mother of Pearl or shell. And um, in the 18th century, the, the, world's button, the button town of the 18th century was uh, Birmingham. They made a huge amount of the world's shell buttons. And the best ones apparently required 80 different processes in order to just make a button. Um, and there was so much waste shell, which they produced, that they dug enormous pits to bury it all. And um, lots of buildings in Birmingham today, especially in the jewellery quarter, have their foundations on Mother of Pearl. So they're all on on sort of buttons and button Wow. How cool is that? I did
1: not know that. That That's really interesting. Did you know that cloth (laughs) buttons were illegal in 17th century France? No, (laughs) cloth buttons. (laughs) Cloth buttons were illegal in 17th century France.
3: Yeah, they sound totally useless. (laughs) I would ban them. (laughs) (laughs) Like buttons made of cloth.
1: That wasn't the reason they banned them. Basically, it was due to big button.
2: Oh, Yeah.
1: (laughs) It was the handicraft industry who said that basically by making these cloth buttons, it was going to make our other buttons made out of pearl or whatever. They were going to make them obsolete. And it was so bad that people, the officials would go to houses and search them looking for buttons. And you could be arrested for enjoying a button in the privacy of your own home, <laughs> according to this article I read. Wow.
3: When we say enjoying a button, I mean, <laughs> if you're enjoying a button, I think you might have to be arrested. Um, <laughs> There was, so a button alternative, since uh, we didn't really figure out the button buttonhole thing in uh, ancient Greece, in ancient Rome, was the fibula, which was a forerunner of the safety pin. It essentially worked exactly like a safety pin, and they had these in ancient Greece and Rome, and that's an example of one of these things which I love, which is an invention that vanished for about 2,000 years, um, and the safety pin resurfaced in... Uh, so they had the safety pins in ancient Greece? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. to do, that's what they did up their tunics.
1: The guy who invented the modern um, safety pin was called Walter Hunt, I think, and he sold his patent for $400 because he, um, he had like a gambling debt or something, so he sold his patent so that he could pay off his debt because he thought, oh, it's a safety pin, it's nothing, it's not really important.
3: Uh, but oh, bugger, that I know is how I billions. feel about safety pins, to be honest, but actually, <laughs> as a commercial And enterprise. also,
1: he invented, I think, like um, a sewing machine, like similar to... Elias Howe invented the actual sewing machine, but he did a precursor to it, and he didn't patent that because he thought it would put a lot of seamstresses out of work.
2: Oh, oh no. Yeah. It did the opposite of that. <laughs> <laughs> it created a massive global industry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my friend. <laughs>
3: Uh, one thing that buttons, so when the buttonhole did come into being, one thing that they were used for in fashion between the 13th and 15th centuries was detachable sleeves. So oh. that was a really fashionable thing, is that you would have, you know, uh, you could swap between outfits. It would look like you were wearing a different outfit every time. You had lots, you had a sleeve drawer, which was just uh, sleeves. No. And you probably, they did, I don't know, they had lots uh. of different <laughs> sleeves. <laughs> Where else are you going to keep the sleeves? That's exactly. really cool. That
1: is really, really cool. cool. That's amazing. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Mm. But then one day you might accidentally leave the house with odd
0: sleeves on.
3: Oh, disaster. Yeah. And then Opa. some people say, I, he's just doing it on purpose to be pretentious. Yeah.
0: Uh, <laughs> um, so basically before the buttonhole was invented, buttons did become very popular. Everyone was wearing them uh, ornamentally. And one of the hangovers of that time, which we rarely think about, I was reading this in Bill Bryson's book at home. If you think about a suit coat and the buttons by the cuff, they, they're not practical buttons. They're just ornamental. Three ornamental on each side.
3: Yeah, that is weird.
0: Yeah, so that's a hangover from back in the day, pre-buttonhole.
3: Well, so another hangover, which we are wearing every day... Every female in the audience, symbols of sexism of the olden days, is the fact that buttons on women's clothes are on the opposite side to buttons on men's clothes. So there are loads of theories about why that is. The main
1: theory I've heard is that women were dressed by maids. Yeah. And so the the maids who are mostly right handed would kind of be, it would be easier for them because it was on the left hand side, whereas men dress themselves. I thought it
2: was because all women are left handed.
3: I've heard so. Yeah, I think that is the main theory. Although, to, like wait, any wait, wait, woman, wait, wait.
2: you're talking Jen, about my one, the main theory is the main theory. Mine isn't. No,
3: no, the all left handed thing. Oh, cool. we are, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's true. Um, but but another theory is that so men have them on the right hand side uh, because they would have their weapons in their right hand when they were carrying their rep- weapons. So so they when you are meet... trying
1: to get undressed and kill someone at the same time. Exactly,
3: it's much easier one-handed.
2: <laughs> I will duel to the death, but.
1: <laughs> um, Gillian Lincolns can't stand to be in the same room as friends and family who wear buttons. Who? She, what? Um, she's called Jillian Lincolns and she has something called coompoonophobia, <laughs> uh, which is the fear of buttons. Uh, she's had it since she was age seven, and her boyfriend, Nate Dorrington, can only wear clothes with zips.
2: <laughs> wow. But her name is Lincolns, which is nicely ironic.
3: Oh, yeah.
1: Considering yeah.
2: the function of a button.
0: Do you um, know who
3: else had that?
0: Yeah, yeah. We must have read the same thing. Yeah, let's let's say it together. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Steve, Steve Jobs. Jobs. Yeah. Wow. yeah. Steve Jobs was scared of buttons, and, and partially there's a theory that that's why it led to the buttonless iPhone, because he was so... <laughs> Yeah. So Steve Jobs, he actually was he had a fear of, of buttons.
3: Yeah, he did say that in yeah, two thousand seven, I think. Another person
2: who had a fear of buttons was uh Napoleon's, I think, great granddaughter, Marie Bonaparte. Oh really? Really? Yep.
1: Wow. That's true. Is she the one who had a clitoris moved?
0: Yes. Moved? I don't want to we can't Where into to? It. It, uh,
1: Just to a holiday she, house? No. <laughs> uh she, yep. Very, very quickly, she, was, she did some studies where she looked at the distance between the clitoris and the vagina of lots of women yep. and found out that those where it was closer had more orgasms and she wanted to have more orgasms, so moved her clitoris surgically yep. closer to she her had moved, She
2: had to moved twice and it didn't work. It's very sad. It's yeah. extremely sad. Yeah, yeah. How um, the
3: mighty families have fallen. <laughs> uh,
0: Napoleon's army actually had a situation with buttons, which was that their buttons were made out of tin and I've read, I don't know if this is actually a solid theory, but apparently when they were marching into Russia, it was so cold that the tin crumbled. Oh, yeah. And so their uniforms opened wide up and suddenly they were exposed to the cold and that's what led to a lot of deaths. So,
3: so as they were invading, it was kind of like watching the full Monty come into <laughs> <laughs> <you. laughs>
2: um, th- I've I've read that theory. I'm, I've read different things about it, though. I've, uh-huh. read th- I've read people contradicting it and people saying, yes, no, it's definitely it. So, yeah, I'm not sure. Mm. I'm going to have to move this on. Okay. No worries. Anyone else got something?
3: Just that the uh, (laughs) button replacement is the zip in the modern era, and you've got to be aware of the zip because it is by far and away the most common cause of penis injury. Uh, Ah. So between 2002 and 2010, there were almost 18,000 people in the US alone who were hospitalized because of penile injury. Can you imagine if they all arrived on the
2: same day? (laughs) (laughs) Imagine the coincidence.
3: It was after a big charity, pull your flies up. (laughs) And also, possibly not interestingly for men, but it is uh, almost only ever the penis and not the testicles. So, good news for the testicles, very hard to get them caught in the zip. <laughs> it's more,
1: like, it's it's more depend- like no news for the testicles and very, very bad news for the penis. <laughs> when they invented the zip, it was marketed as a better way to do up your trousers as you were less likely to forget to do up a zipper as you were to forget to do up buttons. Oh. Ah. Wow, but also less likely to chop your cock off with buttons. <laughs>
2: Okay, time for fact number three, and that is Andy Murray. Oh, good. Um, okay, my fact is that as a baby, St. Nicholas refused to drink his mother's breast milk on fast days. <laughs> so on Wednesdays and Fridays, St. Nicholas would refuse to suckle um, because he was so holy, so young. Uh, except in the evening when it was allowed because the day was over. So there, and there are other saints where this happens. So um, there's a biography of the 5th century Saint Candid, which says that as a baby, he completely refused to suckle at his mother's right breast. But if she had eaten a delicious meal, he also refused to suckle at her left breast. <laughs> wow. Yeah. What? Wow.
3: So he wasn't allowed to enjoy it too much. So if she didn't eat a delicious yes. meal, then it, breast milk is more delicious? Exactly. It was like a, an
2: abstinence thing. Wow. Babies
3: are so much more advanced than we give them <laughs> credit
2: for. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Do you
3: know who the patron
1: saint of breastfeeding is?
2: It's not Saint Nicholas.
1: No, it's Saint Giles. Oh. And before he became a saint, he withdrew deep into the forest near Nîmes, where he lived on his own, uh, and his sole companion was a deer who sustained him with her milk. Oh.
3: A weird person to nominate as a patron saint of breastfeeding because it is not a conventional way to breastfeed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But he is also the patron saint of Edinburgh, St. Giles. Is he? And the patron saint of people who are afraid of the dark. Wow. <laughs> good
2: yeah. knowledge. That's very good knowledge.
1: Wow. Um, the patron saint of uh, Glasgow is St. Mungo, and St. Mungo died of shock after getting into a very hot bath.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, guys, I think I can handle a bath. <laughs> it is really hot, St. Mungo. Please, why are you calling me saint? <laughs> um... So, uh, just one more saint. Uh, Saint Gwen the White uh, was the mother of two young sons and then she gave birth to a third son and in order to help her nursing her third infant, God miraculously gave her a third breast (laughs) and and she became known as Gwen of the Three Paps. (laughs) Anyway...
3: Um, St. Nicholas um, about um, oh, yeah. this fact is, uh, so one of his miracles, which is particularly impressive, I think. So there was someone who was selling pickled ham yeah. um, in a street market. And St. Nicholas realized that he was not selling pickled ham. As the sign suggested, he was selling the pickled, chopped up bodies of three small children. And he pieced them together. But it's not, it's not sad because he pieced them together and he brought the children back to life again. So,
1: wow.
2: that is impressive, mm, isn't it? The Gherkin triplets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My God.
3: Yeah, we should clarify that like, stories about what saints do, we're not necessarily presenting as.
0: I know. I didn't know what to write down as interesting because it sounded like wherever he walked, he would be in a situation and he would pray it away. So he would be like, <laughs> oh, we're at the ocean and we're in the ocean and sailors are vomiting and there's a whirlpool. I'll just do a quick prayer. What and, is
3: true about him, actually, is that he slapped somebody once. Um, he slapped a fellow bishop. Dude, <laughs> uh, Yes. Because it's the great Arian controversy, which is the controversy about whether Jesus is actually fully divine or whether he's sort of half-divine because he was also a human. And basically, St Nicholas strongly believed that Jesus is, is God. Um, and someone suggested that Jesus wasn't quite either divine or human. And he got up, it was at some synod um, in the year 325 AD, and Sir Nicholas got up, crossed the room, and gave him a big slap around the face.
2: Wow. Yeah. And that is where we get the phrase bashing the bishop. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Um.
1: So, yeah, I'm not sure. Like, you're saying that saints didn't do these things. Is that sacrilegious in any way? For instance, um, there are a few saints who um, were decapitated and carried their own heads. You're saying that that didn't happen as well? No,
3: I definitely am not saying that. Saint
1: Jean of Lajara, who carried his own severed head and threw it into the Rhone. (laughs) Or um, Paul of Tarsus... Um, who had his head chopped off and then said, Jesus Christ, <laughs> 50 times after it had been chopped off? Wow. Well, I, you might not have said it in that way, but 50 times.
2: <laughs> 50 times is amazing. Well, the first time it would be amazing, and then the 10th time it would be, yeah, okay, we get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> 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 by the 50th time. Okay, can you just shut up now?
3: There's wow. actually a real problem with uh, saints who are beheaded and then carry their heads around where to put the halo. So I think there's some controversy Mm. as to whether you put it over their severed neck when you're painting them, or whether you put it above the head here, and it's mixed views. You'll see both.
0: You'll see 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 both. both. Yeah, yeah. okay.
3: So everyone can have their own view on that.
0: Wow. Um, Can I bring it back to breast milk very quickly here? Yeah. Okay. Is this another website? (laughs) So (laughs) so I found a great place to buy breast milk online. (laughs) So onlythebreast.com, and there's genuinely... It <laughs> been Simply, simply the, breast. the Breast. I know it should have been, right? <laughs>
1: what?
0: Think out there, guys. <laughs> and this is, uh, this is a genuine place where people trade breast milk online, and you have all sorts of categories, subcategories of types of breast milk that you can buy and have shipped to your house. You can have zero to two months. Uh, there was fresh breast milk on demand. Uh, special diet, brackets, vegan, etc., And then the final one is willing to sell to men. (laughs) Yeah, pretty disgusting, right? I
1: have heard, I don't know if this is true, that bodybuilders like to have breast milk because their theory, and apparently this is complete rubbish, but their theory is a baby goes from really small to quite big in a really small amount of time. (laughs) So surely the same will happen to my muscles.
2: Uh, Do you want to combine it? Marrying the two together, uh, saints and breast milk. Oh, yeah. uh, Have you heard of the miracle of the lactation of St. Bernard? (laughs) Um, This is where St. Bernard was uh, praying. And the Virgin Mary, virgin Mary uh, while he was praying, sort of sprinkled some milk uh, on his lips, fr- as in her own breast milk. Um, and there are other depictions of it which are quite impressive. So I'm quoting directly from the, the Wikipedia article about the lactation of St. Bernard. In art, he usually kneels before a Madonna lactans, a breastfeeding Madonna. And as Jesus takes a break from feeding, the Virgin squeezes her breast and he is hit with a squirt of milk, often shown traveling an impressive distance. <laughs> it's true. It is across a room that uh, it's wow. depicted. It's medieval artworks that you get this in. Yeah. yeah.
3: Well, men can lactate, can't they? Yep. Because yes. you can, I think we've discussed this before, if you massage your nipples enough <laughs> as a man, then you can bring it on. Did you ever
1: do that experiment, Andy? Oh, was
0: it uh, Dan who was going to do it? I did have a go, yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. And was it successful? Not a dribble, nothing. It? <laughs> no, I'm uh, Furious, I spent weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Looks so weird on the train. <laughs> Research. Just doing some research. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, no. No, not a drop yet. Oh, okay. Um, well, yeah. keep trying. Oh, yeah, I'm not giving yeah, up.
1: Keep it up. <laughs> uh, do you want to hear about St. Philip Neary, um, who's known as the humorous saint? <laughs>
0: oh, yeah, Is this like, oh, I've got a really funny mate. Yeah, yeah you've got to meet him. Funny Mike.
1: It really is like that. It's so sad. Um, his, basically, all he did that was funny is he once shaved off half his beard as a way of poking fun at himself. Uh, And he also liked to wear a cushion on his head.
2: (laughs) (laughs) How come? And he's doing his debut solo hour (laughs) at sea venues. um.
3: So he was sainted for that. Is that? (laughs) Uh, He must have done some other stuff. I don't know. It was very much easier back then, wasn't it?
2: Uh. We're going to have to move on very soon. Can I just tell you very quickly about the infancy Gospels of Jesus? Because as another young, uh, more than a saint, he was a Jesus, wasn't he? Um, So. (laughs) (laughs) But... Um, there are lots of, uh, there are some second-century sources which describe what Jesus did as a very, very small boy when he was about five years old. And they're really amazing because uh, they're very different to the Gospels. Um, so when he was five years old, he gathered together separate rivers, uh, which had all been disparate pools of water, and he gathered them into a single pond, and he cleaned it up. And then a boy ruined them by um, sort of sweeping them apart with a broom. So Jesus made, immediately just made the boy withered. And then, then there was another time when a boy bumped into him and he, Jesus immediately kills him. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. And the parents of the boy who Jesus has killed go to Joseph saying, um, your son's killed our son. <laughs> so Jesus simply struck blind all of his accusers. <laughs> and then Joseph sort of boxes his ear and tells him off. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Infancy Gospels, look them up, they're really good.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, it's time for our final fact, and that is Chazinsky.
3: Uh Yeah, my fact is that uh, when Ronald Reagan left office, he left a note on the White House lawn for the squirrels warning them to beware of George Bush's dogs. <laughs> yeah, it's quite sweet, isn't it? Sweet. Yeah,
1: but also he's assuming that squirrels can read. Is he?
3: Yeah, I mean, he wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed, but uh, he was very <laughs> fond of the squirrels. And sadly, George Bush recounted later that uh, it did absolutely no good because their dog Millie beat the heck out of those squirrels whenever he could, she could.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah, he oh, should yeah. have left also a sign for the dog saying, don't get the squirrels.
3: I didn't he do that. <laughs> yeah.
0: there's. Um, they currently have, and this is like hot off the press, uh, the White House is having squirrel issues at the moment. Are they? With Michelle Obama's garden.
3: Oh, well, because they, they always <laughs> dig up. My friend spent an entire weekend planting lots of bulbs in her garden and went, yeah. well, it came back? And the, like a hundred bulbs have been dug up. So it's probably that.
0: There's a silly little legal issue that the gardeners are not allowed to touch the bit of garden that she's created but she's away so much that she's actually not able to maintain it they can't mow it they can't weed it they can't do anything to it but water it and it's just so they're not allowed
1: to go near the first lady's garden
3: (laughs)
0: Uh, yeah. I so cannot
3: really. So that she's saying to them, please do go near it. And they're like, we want to, but there's this clause somewhere in our legislation that says we're not allowed to touch your bit of garden.
0: I genuinely didn't read the article. I have no <laughs> idea what.
3: But they are. So squirrels are prolific on the White House lawn. And Reagan was really fond of them. And it's kind of touching. So every time he went to Camp David, he'd bring lots of acorns back from there to feed the squirrels. Uh, I was reading a trans... What? what? Yeah, he loved to feed the squirrels um i was reading a transcript of an interview uh that he was having i think it was with the new york times where basically he uh there was uh in the transcript there's a pause at one point and he says oh sorry if i look out the window and look distracted i'm just seeing if the squirrels are still eating the acorns that i brought them this morning oh my
2: god (laughs) well it's a good thing there wasn't anything going on at the time like the cold war wow
3: Come on, it's
2: cute. Um, I read a a thing about Reagan because Reagan was obviously he was an actor in B movies. um, He was starred in films with amazing titles: um, "Accidents Will Happen," "Girls on Probation," uh, "The Angels Wash Their Faces," uh, "Brother Rat and a Baby." But his um, um, but his IMDb page begins with this quotation: "Ronald Reagan is arguably the most successful actor in history." And they base that on the fact that he became president of America. <laughs> but it's not, that's not a success as an actor.
3: Um. I really like the pedantic nature of that comment because he is the most successful person who has also been an actor. Yes. You can't fault that, it.
2: That's true. That is true. That's so. true.
0: The, did you guys know that uh, it is because of him that we have blue jelly beans? No. No. I, I, no. Why? I didn't even know we had blue you jelly can beans. I feel yeah. the
3: skepticism emanating. From I know, <laughs> the whole
0: room goes, it's not true, is it? Um, it's true. Uh, he, okay. uh, it was for his inauguration. So basically, he was a massive jelly bean lover. The reason he was a massive jelly bean lover uh, is because he had a huge pipe smoking habit and he hated it. And he didn't want to smoke anymore. The only thing that would stop him from uh, having any nicotine yeah. would be to have a jar of jelly beans. And often, if you look at photos of Ronald Reagan, in all the meetings that he's in, there's a big jar <laughs> of jelly beans next to him. Wow. And so he loved licorice. That was his favorite uh, oh, type yeah. of jelly bean. But the inauguration, because jelly bean caught onto it, they thought, we're going to create one. We don't have a blue one for the red, white, and blue. And so they created it. And so, yeah, Ronald Reagan.
3: Wow. That is really interesting. Thank
1: you. (laughs) One thing he didn't like was Brussels sprouts. Uh, He once did a trip to England, and he was fed so many Brussels sprouts during his trip that he swore off them for the
2: rest of his life. (laughs) They told him they were green jelly beans, which they created (laughs) in his honor. Yeah.
3: Um. Yeah. You know, when he was an actor, as I was reading, he actually wrote two um, autobiographies, but his later one, after he was president, he talked about when he was an actor and the fact that there was a lot of talk backstage about how small his head was. Um, and so he was there with this casting director who was saying, what are we going to do about Ronald's head? You exactly. could stand the
0: actors slightly <laughs> further away from him and then it would match the size of their heads from really back there. Idea, yeah. But then
3: his body looks weirdly <laughs> Joint, large. Yeah, yeah. So it was decided that to be a successful actor, he had to have very wide collars to minimise his uh, shoulder width and have collars that were sort of open a little bit lower so it looked like his head was a bit bigger, I guess, to you know, increase the amount of skin exposure in the head area. <laughs> so <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, poor guy. Imagine, he yeah, was there. Yeah, but
1: he is the there. most successful actor of mm. all time. Yeah. So. That is
2: true. That is true. Who can forget watching Brother Rat and a Baby every Christmas? <laughs>
3: <laughs> you know, he wrote his first autobiography 16 years before he became president. Wow. In 1965, saying, and it was called Where's the Rest of Me? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Did he his... talk
2: about his head? Was <laughs> <laughs> his next autobiography called <laughs> Here It Is? <laughs> Very forward
3: thinking. (laughs) Uh, Uh, He was
1: once threatened by a guy who was going to attack him. And the way he was known as the cat man. And the reason was because he would send threatening letters, uh, but also pictures of cats (laughs) to the president.
3: Yeah. That is the precursor to the internet, I think. L- lots of purposeless abuse and then pictures of cats.
1: <laughs> and, and the other thing that Reagan started was the idea that whenever a president leaves, he always leaves a note for the next president. Uh, and he uh, wrote a note saying, don't let the turkeys get you down to George Bush.
3: Sorry, what is the relevance of the turkeys?
0: The then? turkeys is in the like the, the press, the other
2: countries, The, the don't let the oh, turkeys really? get you down. Wait, it's not about turkey, is it? <laughs> Because <laughs> that's a very specifically racist thing to say <laughs> when you're taking over the most powerful nation.
0: <laughs> no, this, so this was discovered by Brad Meltzer, um, not, the, not the, uh, the fact that that note was left um, for Bush, but that Bush then said, I left a note for yep. Clinton. And Brad Meltzer, he's a crime writer, political thrillers, um, he then said, this is apparently, he thinks this is true, wherever Ronald Reagan went, he had a briefcase with him and always carried a handheld gun on him. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Ah.
2: What's the opposite of a handheld gun? <laughs> <laughs>
3: a foot propelled bow and arrow. <laughs> he was, I, I just always think this is amazing. His chief of staff. Do people know what his chief of staff was called?
1: Ronald Reagan's?
3: Yeah. No. He was called Donald Reagan. <laughs> I don't understand why this isn't the most well-known fact on the face of the earth. Um, and the chief of staff who preceded him was called Baker. So the chief of staff who preceded, preceded Donald Reagan was called Howard Baker, and the guy who came after him was called James Baker. So people what? say Ronald Reagan was a bit confused in the eighties, but I definitely see where he's coming from.
0: from. <laughs> <laughs> um, annoyingly, we've uh, we're running out of time. In fact, oh, okay. we're on the time run out moment. So any last facts? Um,
2: very quick one about squirrels. Yeah, go on. Mm. Um, it used to be illegal not to report a grey squirrel in your garden. Really? Oh.
1: Wow. Yep. I think that grey squirrels were brought to the UK by Benjamin Franklin. Uh, he brought squirrels over to the UK, uh, according to NewsForSquirrels. dot um, com, the blog. It's, how many hits does it get? <laughs> it's had a lot this week for me. <laughs> Uh, male cape ground squirrels have very big genitalia. Uh, the penises can be 40% the length of their body, and they can and do autophilate. Oh. Yeah, and according to researcher Jane Waterman, they do it to
2: clean their genitals. Sorry, what's unusual about any of this? <laughs> I'm sorry, only 40% got it. No, 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 no it is unusual.
0: Okay, that's it. That's all of our facts. Thank you so much for being here, guys. really appreciate it. Thank you at home for listening to the show. If you want to get in contact with any of us about the things that we've said over the course of this podcast, please get us on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Triberland, Andy at Andrew Hunter M, James at Eggshapes. Anna.
3: You can email podcast.qi.com
0: Yep, or you could yep. It's, uh, a it's, it's a fantastic email address to be fair. <laughs> uh, and you can also find all of our previous episodes on no such thing as fish.com and we will be back again with another episode next week. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you then. Goodbye.